Welcome to Chucking a Sickie. This week, I can't go to work because, well, um, it's a little bit awkward. My brother, he kind of, how do you say, murdered my wife. So I had to join the Weapon X program. So I have to find my brother, bring him to justice. You know, that whole thing. Might get Wade Wilson to help me. I don't know. I'm your host, Harry. And each episode, we invite a very special guest and go through their perfect day off. From the excuse they use to get off work to the song that sets the tone for the day, their favorite meal, and of course, their adventurous afternoon. A real-life Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We have a lot of exciting episodes coming up, from comedy superstars to bands, playwrights, actors, and hell, maybe even a young mutant lad named James, who happens to be played by Troy Sivan. But this week, we have the terrific Tom Ballard. I am so excited to have Tom Ballard on the show. Tom is a stand-up, had his own TV show, wrote a bloody book. He also hosted Triple J Breakfast uh, with his mate Alex. He's won ARI Awards, is currently acting in the TV show Deadlock, which makes sure you got to see. And overall, it's just a great guy. Tom will be performing his show, It Is I, at Edinburgh Festival Fringe from the 31st of July to the 27th of August this year. So get your tickets to his show. He's bloody hilarious. Links to his show are in the description below. But for now, pull out that thermometer and get ready to call your boss because it's time for Chucking a Sickie. <coughs> Chuck a Sickie. Tom, thank you so much for coming on Chucking a Sickie. You're so welcome. Thank you, Harry. Thank you for assuming that I have a real job enough. <laughs> that I would have to ever chuck a sickie. I, I, that's not how comedy works, but it's it's very sweet to be asked. You are so busy. The fact that you haven't chucked a sickie, it's surprising <laughs> to me. The amount of things, you, you write books, you you win ARIA awards, you do comedy, you, you do everything. You're um, right. I'm very busy but, and successful. You're right. But we're not speaking about that. We're not speaking about your success. We will at some oh, point, but not yet. That's all, that's all I'm talking about. <laughs> now, we've got to get into the mindset of your absolute worst job you've ever had, because that's where we're starting. We're starting at the bottom. So for you, what has been the worst job that you've ever had? <laughs> Look, I've been very fortunate in my life. In, in, in Before going full-time comedy, I didn't have anything that sucked too much. Mm. Um, I, I did start my own dog walking business when I was about 10 years old because I really wanted a dog and my parents wouldn't get a dog. And so I just wanted to hang out with dogs. And so I ended up, um, uh, creating a dog walking business. Uh, I made business cards on Microsoft Word and I called myself the <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Leash, which was humiliating. Great name. Great name. <laughs> I'm sure everyone loved that in Warnable. They were like, this, this kid, he's a, he's a young entrepreneur in, in, a, in our country town. <laughs> We got another homosexual, guys. Another little country <laughs> gay here. Um, I only yeah. had one client, uh, Mrs. Godfrey. She had a giant German Shepherd called Thumper, and I did love. I love Thumper. He was so big and like almost as big as me, really, at that age. And I had to pick up his giant shits. But um, and I probably came to resent that job after a while because I was sort of like she was like an old pensioner who paid me a dollar a walk, and it was just sort of like when yeah. do you when do you quit that job? When do you say I'm not going to walk your <laughs> You stupid German Shepherd anymore, but um, yeah, I mean, it's. I was going to say like, how many dogs is it? One dog kind of seems a bit manageable, but if it's a German Shepherd, that's a whole different ballpark. It was really. I mean, I yeah. By the time I hit my growth spurt, I was kind of dealing with it okay. But as a kid, it was like he would pull me along quite aggressively, yeah. and because she was like quite elderly and did not get out much. Like this is a dog that needed exercise, and so yeah. any time you came to the door, it lost his mind, and he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, pulling you along a lot." So that was um, that had its should, highs and lows. Should the dollar have been given to the dog? 
I don't mean to be rude, but if he if he's walking you, uh, I don't know. I did ride point. the dog. I should mention that. I had a little saddle and I climbed aboard and yeah, yeah I should have paid it for the little ride. That's true. Honestly, it would have been polite. Okay, so that's not your worst job though. Well, I'm just trying... And then after that, I, I worked at the Sound and Light Show in Warrnambool, shipwrecked at the um, local maritime recreation village Flags Are Hill. They had a Sound and Light Show that retold the story of the Lockhart Peacock being wrecked on the Great Ocean Road. Um, yeah. And I dressed up as an 18th century sea captain and took people through that Sound and Light Show. And that sounds bad, but I loved it so much because I wanted to be an actor at that point. So this is like technically acting. So I was already doing yeah. an acting job. So I was quite happy with that. And the pay was very good because it was a council <laughs> job. For yeah, which like, is well, great. Yeah, all my friends were working at fast food restaurants and I was doing this bullshit job, which was just meant <laughs> delivering the monologue and then basically sitting in the people movers while they watched the show and playing games on my Game Boy. I mean, that mm. sounds like a great job. Yeah, it was a pretty uh, whoever's good job. saying it's, it's a bad job is quite mistaken. It got a bit repetitive. Like it does drive you, particularly you'd, sometimes you do three shows a night. And okay, yeah. I mean, I know now I still you know tell the same jokes for years on end, but but I don't know, just doing the same goddamn monologue three times in a row in a night drove you a little bit nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're about to go somewhere where you're doing literally like thirty nights in a row of the same <laughs> set in in a bra. Yeah, it's completely different. Completely different. Yeah, why do I think that's different? I don't know. It's it's more fun. I, there wasn't very very many jokes in the monologue for um the shipwreck sound on that show. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And then I worked for Movember in the call center, which was like a pretty cool place to work as well. And the mm. worst part about that is that, of course, there was a lot of pressure for me to actually grow a mustache. I can't <laughs> grow a mustache. That was humiliating. I heard that there was one party that you had to go to where you had to like dress up as what like you wanted your mode to be or what it yes. represented. Uh, and you should dress up as a grandma with the wispy uh, mohairs. Yes. Which I think is workplace <laughs> bullying, to be honest. But that was, that was the best yeah. choice. I could not grow a mustache. And so I may as well be, yes, an old lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so far, all these jobs sound pretty good. I mean, when you start comedy at saying. fourteen, yeah. you know. I know. Yeah. Then and then I, my next job was working at Triple J, which at that time and <laughs> still is like the coolest thing in the world for me to, to have done. I feel very lucky to have worked there. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. I don't want to play a violin. I've done some horrific corporate gigs in my time, which is yeah, a comedian is booked to either okay. MC or do a comedy spot somewhere for a bunch of assholes. Who don't want to, don't care about what you're saying, and have no interest in your comedy, and you can't swear, and it's a very humiliating experience. And the only thing that makes that better is there's a decent amount of money involved. But that <laughs> that you get doing those gigs, well, yeah. yeah, make you really feel like you're you're selling your soul. Maybe that's the worst job. What's the worst gig that you've had to do? No names of the organization, but <laughs> why? Like something that was just so terrible. The worst one I've had recently was earlier this year. It was a and this serves me right for saying yes to this, but it was a real estate uh, agents conference. Okay, so it's a real estate company. Yeah, okay, okay. In Brisbane. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a gala dinner thing and they booked me to do 20 minutes and they were like, we want you to roast real estate agents. We want you to write jokes. Just just hang shit on us. Just be like, just do it, say whatever you want. Yeah. And of course, the MC did not tell people to shut up when introducing me. So he didn't even come out on stage. The, the the gig had started. Everyone's still standing around. They're still talking to each other. They haven't taken their seats. And the MC mm. says, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Ballard. And then I have to walk out. <laughs> Mumbles it. He, just like, you know, yeah, give him a yeah. clap or whatever. 
Yeah. And so the, everyone's still talking. And then, so then you're in the position in which you have to get a room full of people to stop talking and listen so that you can then do jokes about how they're cunts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is impossible. Yeah. And so you try a few times, can I have your attention? Oh, guys, come on, everyone. Let's have a listen, bit of shush. And then eventually you go, look, this is not going to happen. I'm just going to read this stuff that I prepared to a room full of talking people and I'm going to hit that 20 minute mark and I'm going to walk yeah. off and I'm going to get paid and I'm going to order room service for the hotel and I'm going to ask some big questions about how things are going. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that sounds like a terrible gig. No one wants to be there. And I've found there's been a couple of situations. Strip shows seem to be another one where there's just not, not the right place for comedians. And I feel like a bunch of real estate agents that don't want to hear you uh, rip into them, uh, probably not the right place for you at all. I mean, look, the egotistical part of me is like, if everyone was listening, we'd have a great time because I had some really good jokes and it'd be funny. But <laughs> yeah. It's just like, what is this for? Like, why Why have you booked a comedian here? If if I wasn't part of that night, no one would care. No one would notice. Yeah, it the, wouldn't have made a difference. Yes, all these people want to do is talk to each other and drink and have fun. And maybe some yeah. awards are handed out later on. Like, <laughs> the idea that they need to be entertained by a guy they have might vaguely have seen on Celebrity Name Game. Like, just, yeah. point, just absolutely <laughs> pointless. Now, I'm glad that people keep doing this because, you know, this these big um, chunk of change that you get out of these corporates does genuinely keep comedians afloat and does, you know, counterbalance all the other money you're losing on the variety of other creative <laughs> uh, projects you're going on. But yeah, it's such a bizarre thing. Well, it's also weird because, I mean, I don't mean to stereotype, but generally when alcohol's involved in an event, that's all. You, that's the entertainment that you need. People get drunk; they don't care. Yes, that's very true. I mean, yes, it doesn't take much to make a comedy gig work, but but people being able to bring tell people to shut up is is crucial. And and <laughs> yeah, if you don't have anyone saying, "Hey, everyone, you need to stop talking," because a person's going to come out here and talk, and their whole thing is talking. That's all they have. Yeah. Um, then it's not going to work out well. Doesn't really work. That's where you. That's where you confiscate people's lunchtime. You say that's it. You're not going to play at lunch or recess. <laughs> You're staying in. It now, bells for me. Yeah. Now we've got to speak a bit about your career because you obviously you worked for Triple J. You've been in comedy since you were 14. Started doing it properly when you were 19. You've written a book. You've you've done pretty much everything under the sun. You're on a deadlock at the most at the moment as a lazy police officer. Um, how did this all start? For you like why did you decide this is this is what i want to do with my life whoa um yeah i mean i did <laughs> small question small yeah, question yeah no it's um yeah i never specifically said i want to be a comedian at, initially I, honestly like acting was the thing I, I did amateur musical theater i love being on stage i think attention is the common theme through it all <laughs> yeah. just yes and being on stage people looking at me giving me positive feedback was very important to me and that's not because my parents didn't hug me enough or whatever they're very nice people who, who showed me a lot of love so who, who the hell knows why I am this way but really wanted to be an actor wanted to go to NIDA wanted to be the greatest actor of my generation and then kind of just fell into doing stand-up because Class Clowns was being run at my school which is a high school comedy competition um, that the Melbourne Comedy Festival runs encouraging young people to get into stand-up comedy which is disgusting and should be illegal <laughs> yeah and I just, I used to watch the the gala on TV, the Oxfam gala on onto VHS tapes and watch them over oh, religiously. The so 
I think after a while I was like, oh man, these people are on stage by themselves. Everyone's looking at them and and seems to make everybody happy. So <laughs> And you don't have to share the stage with anyone else. Like no. it's just you. It's just me. You have a microphone, everyone has to shut up and listen to you. <laughs> yeah. Um so that kind of felt like the dream. Yeah, and did class clowns, kinda of got addicted to stand up a bit. It was still like I'm still gonna be an actor, but just kept mm. doing stand up, didn't get into acting school, and then at that point through stand up had got this sort of interest from Triple J. And was like, oh, maybe I could just tell jokes and play cool songs for a living. Maybe that. that might yeah, be. yeah. And then obviously, since then, you've gone on. You and then I, you just have show. to. And then eventually, you're like, I have no other skills. I dropped out of uni. <laughs> I've put all my eggs in this basket. I need to keep yeah. working in Australian comedy, even <laughs> yeah. if the public gets sick of me. Yeah. I don't know. I've got nothing else. I mean. With your ATAR, though, or your VCE, Scott, you could really do anything at this point, which for some reason is just plastered all over your Wikipedia page. <laughs> I did not do that. I want to make that clear. Yeah. yeah, just yes. bizarre. I did know that, that you did do six weeks of law school as well. So you did go to uni for some point. Um, I but did. I think what you're doing now sounds a lot more fun than being a lawyer. It's certainly more fun. Yes, yes, yes. I I feel like I missed out socially a little bit from going to uni. Uh, and, and I found uni really hard because it was like, it was a classic, you know, yeah, I was the nerdy teacher's pet in high school and used to do pretty well and it was relatively easy. And then you go to uni and it's like, oh, everyone else here in doing a law degree anyway is <laughs> yeah. pretty academically also really committed. Smart. <laughs> yes. And no one gives a shit and no one's going to show me how to do it. So I remember the six weeks of that law course, we basically just recapped everything I'd learned in year 11 and 12 legal studies in six weeks and was expected to yeah. do all these reading. I was like, oh, God damn. Yeah, it's like but 100 yeah. pages a week or something like that. Nuts. So when it's, it's crazy. Yes, when the opportunity to drop out to become a full-time stand-up comedian <laughs> and just talk about my dick uh, arose, I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to do that, I think. Yeah, well, speaking about your dick, that was in your, your first set as well, <laughs> from what I understand, which is also something that I've never said on the podcast yet, and I don't think I'll ever say again. Speaking of your dick, yes. <laughs> yeah, as it came out, I was like, oh, this is not how I wanted to phrase it. <laughs> uh, you mean the fun size Mars bar joke? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, now, they've, since I've come up with this fun size Mars bars, I've completely stopped worrying about the size of my penis. I still think it's a decent <laughs> joke, but... Um, it's a great joke. <laughs> yes, that that uh, that was one of the defining pieces in the Ballard oeuvre. Yeah, well, you're, you're heading to Edinburgh very soon um, when this podcast comes out. It's probably going to be... You're going to be in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, your show is It Is I. It's through the entire festival. What's it all about? God, that is a good question. Um, it is. This is the show I've been touring all this year across the Australian festivals, and it's 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 about a bunch of things. There's, I mean, it's basically just an hour of, of stand up of things that I find funny, a lot of yelling, carrying on, classic ballad. But the the crux of it, the thing that you know is at, uh, probably at the heart of the show, is talking a lot about the Queen passing away and how ridiculous I thought the reaction to that was, and. <laughs> You know, the monarchy is something that whenever I think about, when you actually spend the time to think about it, it just makes me angrier and angrier, the fact that it exists and that all these adults are just like, yeah, yeah, that's just the way things are. It's kind of ridiculous. And I contrast that with the experience of my gran who turned 100 uh, last year and also passed away. So, um, yes, I don't know. There was something kind of rich in there, kind of contrasting those two experiences. My gran was a lovely lady. She wasn't anyone special or extraordinary. She's just a, a person who was born into a certain family and she dies and society doesn't care and this other yeah. old lady who was born into a family and then lives for 96 years and then dies and passes yeah. away and didn't even the make the, the hundy 
Yeah. Yes, didn't even crack the century. Week. Yeah. Fucking pissed week. <laughs> Couldn't even send herself a letter, but <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that that sounds great. I do understand as well that uh, you have you, you have quite a few podcasts that you do. Uh, one of them is quite political, and you're a big fan of referendums, or rather the the history of referendum. And it's been really been irking me. I needed to know what your favorite referendum was, which I think will really capture our audience's attention <laughs> right now. Yes, Jesus. Okay, well, hello, people who keep listening to this point. We're still with us. Um, my favourite referendum. Gosh, that's a good question. Well, yeah. So I did this uh, stand-up show, which which I should be doing again a little bit before the actual yes/no the the voice referendum in Australia later this year. I'm trying to recap the history of this process, people might know we've only had eight successful referendums out of forty-four in the course of Australian Federation. And I guess I'm trying to explain what all those forty-four referendum were actually about and why it's so goddamn hard. Um, but in a comedic way, in a fun way. That yes, but lots of jokes, and funny pictures, and jokes about yeah. my dick still managed to get in there. So, oh, um, thank God, thank God. Yes, don't worry, everyone. It was you won't be learning too much. Yeah. Um, the I mean, the best one that passed is the 1967 one, which basically removed this very racist part of the constitution. Still, a bunch of other racist stuff still in there, of course. But the overwhelming majority of Australians said yes. First Nations people should be treated better. So that was good. Favourite referendum that didn't pass is the 1953 referendum that Robert Menzies introduced in which he tried to change the constitution to outlaw communism, okay? So he wanted to make being a <laughs> yeah. communist a crime and flush communists out of our entire public service yeah. and make being members of a trade union basically illegal. So really fascistic shit. It's incredible yeah. that it got as far as it did and it was not... You know, Australia voted no, but not by enough for my liking. So yeah, it's it was it was too close. To that more, yeah. <coughs> All right, well let's let's go back to your perfect day off. Um, we've spoken about your worst gig, which I'm going to take that because your jobs sound pretty great, um, even writing a German Shepherd. But now you've got to get I still out hate of this my gig. Job. I mean, I love being a comedian. I love what I do, but of course, I still hate having to work. And so the idea of <laughs> chucking a sickie or using some flimsy excuse or some self delusion to not have to do any work, of course, I'm all about that. That's good because otherwise this entire podcast would would not work <laughs> at all. So <laughs> I love working every day. <laughs> bye bye. Well, we had Karen from finance on, um, who loves her job. That's her whole thing. She loves working, and it yes. was very hard to get her to chuck a sickie, but we managed to do it. <laughs> now, for you, what would your excuse be to get out of work for the day? Oh gosh, what would be well again when you are your own boss in theory. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it is pretty easy to just be like, don't want to. Um, I guess, and the best equivalent I had, the, the example of this I had recently was yeah, writing the book. The book was supposed to come out at the end of 2021, but we were in another lockdown then and I didn't know what the hell I was doing and it drove me a little bit crazy. So I had to make, I had to call my publisher to say, I cannot deliver this book this year. And yeah. he was very understanding and said, that's a shame, but we'll, we'll, We'll try and have a crack in 2022. So that's probably the biggest, you know, multi-month sickie that I chucked in terms of actually <laughs> not being able to work on the book. Yeah, um, I mean, you're not taking a sick day. You're taking a sick year, sick which year. is definitely, it's definitely a first. <laughs> but this is, again, when you're creative, you can do all this bullshit of like, I just don't feel like in my mental health yeah. space is not quite right. And I don't feel inspired and I've got writer's block. So that's, that's always a good excuse. 
I reckon not feeling it is a very valid excuse. Definitely something that we've heard before. I think also with a book with the name, and I have to read this because I can't say it off by heart. I millennial, one snowflake, screed against boomers, billionaires, and everything else. Yeah, it's fair that you would need to take some time off because you're not feeling it that day. <laughs> That's true. Yes, and I guess you could get away with that creatively. If you work at like Coles or something, you probably can't call them up and say, guys, just not feeling it today. Just not in, <laughs> just not in the vibe. No. I just can't confront those shelves. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got the day off. So you've got a whole day ahead of you. And to start off the day just right, because as Baraka says, it's not a big night, it's a big day. Um, <laughs> what song would you want to pump you up for the day? Pump me up. Well, there's a song by Lisa Mitchell called Spiritus that we used to play a lot on Triple J. And for whatever reason, yes, you know, I used to do breakfast radio too. So songs that got you excited about the day were very crucial for listeners. It made you feel good too, particularly if you couldn't feel like uh, doing any kind of breakfast radio. So I don't know. Do you know that song? I don't know that song, but I, it is interesting that you said a song that you played on Triple J because I was going to say, you've mentioned before that some of the songs that you played, like Royals or Thif Thrift Shop, great songs, Yes, but by, by the end, you played them so often <laughs> that you just can't, you can't stand them. And it's surprising that you've actually gone with Lisa Mitchell Spiritus if you're playing them. Yeah, I don't know how much of a hit it was or anything. I just loved it. It was just, there was something about that, that kind of riff and... Yeah, I think she's awesome. Um, yes, but we definitely didn't flog it in the realms of thrift shop and royals. That was they were certainly um, <laughs> yeah. on high high rotation. And again, yeah. fun songs, but goddamn, yes. After a while, yeah. you were like, "I did. This is not getting me excited for the day. I want to go back to bed." Yeah, I get that. And with Lisa Mitchell, is that someone that you found through being a radio host or did you already know her before you were coming in and like find it your own way? Yeah, she was, she must, her debut album must have dropped too when we started. And look, I love music and I was a bit, I was in my teenage years was pretty passionate about music. But when I started at Triple J, I was like working with and meeting people who knew everything about music and were across yeah. all the latest trends and stuff. So you know, by the nature of doing that job, I was educated a lot about particularly Australian music, about stuff I hadn't heard of before. Um, but Lisa Mitchell's definitely my vibe. You know, I was big into mm. Missy Higgins and um, kind of folky pop stuff is very much up my alley. So yeah, I'm a big, big Mitchell fan. And did you get to meet her through doing um, The Breakfast Show? We did, yes. Yeah, she was delightful. She was um, often, very, often quite shy, I think, and she had some... I think she had some negative associations with the media because she did Australian Idol and she didn't want to be the Australian Idol lady and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I think she definitely grew into herself and yeah, became a very good friend of Triple J's and we had her on the show a bunch of times. And she must have done a like a version, I think, with us at some point. Um, mm. I can't entirely remember what it was. Oh, she she did a Christmas one. That's right. She did oh, we're asking people for Christmas great. like a versions and she did uh, yeah, a beautiful song about snow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, it is funny thinking in the mindset of, of a breakfast show, like a, you really do need a pump up song to start you because I feel like if you're on a breakfast radio, you're getting up at like 4am to start yeah. doing your show at six, which is just crazy given the fact that now you're doing stand up, which is purely at night. <laughs> Yes, I was doing this the two at the same time too. There was a year I did breakfast radio and my and did the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and my show was at nine thirty p.m. at night. Oh God, how um, did you live? Like, you know, not well. <laughs> Put on a lot of weight, yeah. but I was also twenty one or whatever. So I guess I could kind of deal with it, but I certainly couldn't do that now. That's for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, it is pretty cool with Triple J. Obviously, you and Alex were from the same town and doing community radio together and then came over um, to do Triple J. How was that transition from you, like, I guess, being in, in Warrnambool and then moving to Sydney and, you know, this whole world has opened up to you? It was ins- It was insane, really. Like, yeah, throughout the whole process, I think Alex and I would just could not believe it was sort of happening. And I, I really think it did take us quite a while to adjust to that show and... I don't know. I wouldn't listen to stuff we did in our first year. I think I'd, I'd cringe too much. But yeah. that's also yeah, credit to Triple J for taking a big risk on us. And um, mm. and it really, yeah, for someone who is not a radio guy, I was a, I, I was a stand-up or I want to be creative, to sort of move into this media presenting role was quite weird. Um, but it was so fun. Like there was, the, I don't think you could have a better job as a 19-year-old yeah. who's oh, studying yeah. out stuff, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's great. And you, obviously, you and Alex are icons for for the Naughties generations on Triple J <laughs> and the early teens as well, um, which is great. So, look, Lisa Mitchell, you've met her, which is I think you're the first person to meet the person that's that you've chosen the pump up song from, which is great. <laughs> so, Spirit is playing loud and loud and clear through yep. the airwaves. <coughs> Um, but then you're feeling a bit peckish. So you've got your pump up song, but now you need to have a meal. So where would you go for your favorite meal in your local area on your perfect day off? Ooh, okay. In my, well, if it's in my local area, as in within Melbourne, I guess you'll accept it yeah. in Melbourne. Well, Anywhere in Melbourne's fine. There's a place called Mario's on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy, which is like a bit of a Melbourne institution. And the food isn't even that like mind blowing. And I don't want to diss them, like it is delicious, but it's just like, it's just no nonsense Italian. There's a guy called Mario who runs it. <laughs> yeah. They do good coffee and they have canottos and you hear people speak Italian and there's garlic bread there, which is delicious. And I just mm. have a lot of very fun memories of hanging out with friends and having cool lunches at Mario's. So that's probably where I'd head. I feel like having Mario there though is very important because <laughs> like, sometimes you know Mario what, you comes know over, he checks over, he asks you how the meal's going. Yeah, it's going great. Thank yeah. you, Mario. I love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, people wonder why the, the latest Mario movie didn't work. No one wants Chris P- Pratt when you're going to an Italian <laughs> restaurant. We want the real Mario with the legitimate garlic bread. I didn't. Did you see that movie? Or no? I never saw it no. uh, because I couldn't bring myself to see it. Did you see it? I didn't know. People's yes, I remember the controversy but then apparently it's been a box office smash like it's made shitloads of money and apparently it's very oh. successful so so look you can really cast anyone for any ethnicity <laughs> now it seems which seems like a really step in the, the wrong direction <laughs> hey oh. go woke go broke <laughs> yeah oh goodness so what would you get from mario's did you have a go-to pizza that you would get when you went each time uh it's more like pasta stuff so um yes garlic bread as an entree a canotto and honestly, something as basic as uh, spaghetti bolognese. It's just, it's just like, it's just like a mama used to make. I'd say. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted a nonna. Feel. Yeah, that'd be great. And yeah. so I feel like that's the kind of delicious stuff that that you would prepare. I've got a nonna, and she's great at cooking. She's not Italian, so what doesn't make Italian food? Yeah, she's Egyptian. So it's. Oh. Uh, she's, Do you call her you nonna? Know, no. We call her nonna. We call her nonna. Oh. That is her. That is her official name. Actually, no, I do know what her real name is, but I would never utter it in real life because it's sacrilegious. But um, <laughs> yeah, got a nonna that doesn't cook Italian food. Oh, how interesting. Okay, Egyptian. All right. What kind of, yeah. Does she cook Egyptian food? Yeah, really good Egyptian food. She's a, a fantastic cook, but awesome. have don't remember ever having Italian food from my nonna. Yeah, right. Yeah, there are a few, there are a few, 
<laughs> honestly, there have been some times when I've like either asked out or or kept dating, tried to date an Italian guy, honestly, just to get access to, to a nonno eventually. That's, that's been a deliberate plan of mine. It's important. I reckon that's a good, a good way to do it. Now, if you could go anywhere in the world for your perfect meal, money isn't a really an issue here. It can cost as much as you want. Where would you go for your perfect meal? Oh, okay. Anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. God damn. Um, well, I mean, if you ask me like, what's the best meal I've ever had anywhere, and this is quite yeah. a problematic answer, but the Hellenic Republic, which is George Kalambaris's Greek restaurant. Oh, very now, problematic. Yeah. Yes. Now I know he doesn't. He didn't pay his workers, and that was bad, and we don't <laughs> like that. But fuck me sideways. The Saganaki <laughs> cheese at the Hellenic Republic, which is now closed down, so you'd have to bring it back from the dead or whatever. Yeah. I just remember eating that and thinking, this is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It was Saganaki <laughs> cheese with fig involved, mm. and you could taste the exploitation of the workers, <laughs> yeah. and it was just... It was just very delicious. So I think an amazing Greek meal is pretty special. So I'd probably, I'd, I'd find out what the best restaurant in Greece is and go to yeah Santorini or go to one of the islands and just and eat, eat my fill there. Have you ever been to the Greek islands? No. Okay. So you haven't, you haven't had the original, but I assume the Kalambara special would have been as good. It's a perfect day. <laughs> so we can bring it back. And this time the only difference is, and I don't know if it'll make the Saganaki worse, is he actually pays his workers. Yes. Uh, that would be the only difference, but maybe without the tears, it's not as good. <laughs> so something you might be giving up there. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. It's a socialist paradise. It's, it's worker owned and they keep all the recipes and they taste exactly the same and it's very ethical. Exactly. And, but it's fine. It, it, he's not... It's uh, yeah, it's all, it's all above board. Good. <laughs> now, like Ferris Bueller... You have to have an, an adventure in the afternoon. So you can do anything with anyone. What would you do for your perfect afternoon off? Mm, I had a few ideas for this. My main yeah. one was um, <laughs> just having sex with Troy Sivan. But uh, yeah. I, that's probably not what you're looking for. Um, I mean, look, we've definitely had that at least once before. <laughs> Only one person so far has taken the option. Uh, Troy Sivan is a different twist. I mean, with his new single out as well. Sure, he's back. He's, I don't know he's, if he's he on the market horny. or not. At the moment, based on that single, yeah. seems like he's um, he's up front for young with young and old. Um, yeah, <laughs> but look, that's that's just entering into my fantasy world. Um, okay, I'll and another genuine one is like I always love going to the beach. A day out at the beach is honestly very fun. And if there's anyone that I'd really like to hang out with, like Mel Brooks, I think would just be so funny and would just have amazing stories. I don't know if he'd enjoy being yeah. at the beach. If we could separate the beach no. activities, if he wants to get into the water, whatever. But I just want to sit and listen to Mel Brooks stories all day. I think that would be pretty awesome. The first um, thing I think of, of Mel Brooks in the beach is just him complaining about the sand. That's, yeah. that's all I can... Why is there sand here? What do you mean? Uh, I think, and it's yes. biblical. It's the whole thing. Famously Jewish people, probably not their most natural environment is, is on the beach. That's probably fair. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Wherever Mel wants to go. I'll, no, you know what? I'll For this up. one day, Mel Brooks, he loves he loves the sand. He loves, he loves it between his toes. He's not going <laughs> to complain. He's just going to enjoy it. But also, if you're with Mel Brooks, him complaining about it would probably be part of the... That would be funny. We'd both him. be schwitzing. Yeah, no, that would yeah, be... Yeah, really be good. schwitzing. I mean, who's not a Mel Brooks fan? But but what what is the first movie that got you into Mel Brooks? Well, I mean, it's again because they because some of them are like genuinely made for kids. I think some of them you go back as an adult and appreciate them more. But like as a kid, Robin mm. Hood 
Prince of uh, Men in Tights was, was oh, just I just watched it so many times because I love Robin Hood, and I was yeah. just yes, there was just like so much fun shit going on there. But since then, like the producers going back to the film, the producers mm. is so fucking funny, and um, yeah, yeah, I I I love that that film very much. So yeah, he, yeah, he's killed it with the producers. I mean, not surprising. You've got Get Smart, History of the World, like th- that man's done everything. One day he will chuck a sickie, I have no doubt, but not anytime <laughs> soon. And he's just going to keep on churning them out. <laughs> That's it. And then if I, if I want to like a sincere day out, actually my most fun thing is to go to a music festival with a bunch of like my closest friends, no celebrities. Uh, yeah. I mean, celebrities yeah. can come, I guess, if they want. Um, Lisa Mitchell can come. But honestly, <laughs> when I think about the most fun social activity ever, it's probably being at a music festival, seeing a band I love, being somewhat high and being <laughs> yeah. filled with that kind of particular feeling of just being uh, stoked that you get to be alive and hang out with people. I think that's probably my ideal day off. Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty great. Music festival, what's what's the one that sticks out for you that I guess you've felt the most that feeling of, of just euphoria? It would have to be Meredith uh, Music Festival, um, which happens in regional Victoria every year around December. So it's, it's also a big like end of year thing and big blowout mm. at the end of the year and the weather's always pretty good. The lineup is great. There's one stage, so it's just everyone focused on that. Oh, yeah. I love that. 10,000 people, yeah. And, if yeah, if anyone knows Meredith, it's got quite a reputation for being a pretty special place. And I just have a lot of very, very good memories of going there. Like the, my last day at Triple J, we did the farewell show in the morning, then I flew to Victoria and drove out to Meredith and then had a yeah, very, wow. very large weekend that was just this kind of big, you know, <laughs> life moment kind of thing. Um yeah, yes, transitioning to the next stage. Yeah, yeah, it was just, just like a big, a big deal, and felt like felt like finishing high school again or whatever. <laughs> yeah. that kind of vibe. Is there a band that you'd want to to headline the festival? Like a band that you love seeing live? Well, my all time favorite is Ben Folds. I love Ben Folds very much. His music means a lot to me, and I do think he's an amazing live performer. I think he's very funny, but also the songs he writes are pretty special. He's uh, the last album wasn't too bad. In recent years, he's made some interesting choices, but <laughs> yeah. um, generally speaking, you want his older stuff. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, I, he's always doing something interesting. Like it's always worth listening mm. to the new Ben Folds project, whatever it is. And he has a, an incredible body of work that you can appreciate it a lot of it over time. Um, either him or Sufjan Stevens. I saw Sufjan oh, Stevens yeah. at the Sydney Opera House in 2010, and it was that was an incredible show. That was like a real. Yeah, life-defining kind of gigs. I remember when he came to the Opera House. I just feel like that's kind of the perfect venue for him as well. Like, I think, obviously, the Opera House is a great venue, but doesn't work for every artist. And Sufjan Stevens in the Opera House does seem very complimentary. Man, and it was that album and the whole show was conceived and it was it was just an artist being absolutely who he was and fully doing it. And I just loved it. I loved that show. Yeah, that was um, yeah. very special. What a combination. Now, I've got to go back to the beach really quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you have a beach that you're going to? Or we're saying any beach, as long as Mel Brooks there, he'll make it. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I mean, look, in terms of beaches, you really can't go past, like, yeah, Sydney, any of the various ones. Um, yeah, Bronte is really beautiful. I must say, yeah, I as much as I don't want to live in Sydney again, I really love visiting Sydney and going to the beach uh, in Sydney yeah. was pretty special. So anywhere along there would be good. Yeah. Have you, I got to ask, have you ever spoken to Mel Brooks or Ben Folds or Sufjan Stevens through all the things that you've done, whether it's the Tonightly or Triple J or 
in the stand-up world. Yeah, no Mel, no Mel Brooks um, uh, or Sufjan. I think Sufjan sort of does very few interviews and if uh, she's, he's getting interviewed by Triple J, it's by Zan Rowe. But Ben Folds, we had yeah, on the sense. show a couple of times. Yes, we had him on the phone yeah. and he did a, like a version. And then I did SPS Celebrity Mastermind and my special subject was Ben Folds. And I got through <laughs> to the final and I got Ben Folds to record a message. And that was like the coolest oh, that's thing ever. great. Yeah. What did he say in his message? He just said, oh, he was eating. I think the running joke we had was eat, him eating. So we had we interviewed him on the phone. He was eating food. Yeah. And we'd like, were you eating while we were on the phone? <laughs> then when he came in for like yeah. a version, we put out a, a range of snacks and he ate them while he was did like a version. And That's then when he great. recorded the message, he also um, started eating some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Staying true to form. He doesn't want to break <laughs> break, break the image. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy that, yeah, have a little in-joke with Ben Folds, my musical hero, but, you know. Yeah, was... which is just, I think that's the best thing ever. Just that moment of connection between yeah. the two of you. It's moments, yeah, you still sort of pinch yourself and you sort of think, my life is pretty ridiculous and I'm pretty lucky to, to be able to do that stuff, I think. <coughs> Let's recap your perfect day for you and you okay. can tell me how, how you think it sounds. So mm-hmm. you start off with your worst job, which is actually a gig that you had to do to a bunch of real estate agents that honestly could not have cared less if you were alive or dead on the floor doing the gig. Um, but you get out of that because, let's be honest, you just don't feel it. Uh, it's just... <laughs> It's not your day. And to be honest, no one's blaming you here (laughs) at all. Um, Then Lisa Mitchell, she's going to perform for you live like she did in the Triple J studio, uh, Spiritus, um, for you. We can have a recording if you prefer. No, Uh, no, no. (laughs) I just... We can have her live. I just like to wake up in bed in the morning and I look over and Lisa Mitchell's there about to bust the tune. She's just serenading you (laughs) right next to your bed and you're confused and a bit scared how she got into your house. But it's okay because after that, you get to go to Mario's um, and you're going to have your garlic bread, you're going to have a quinotto, you're going to have some bolognese. It's going to be a a very lavish, delicious meal. And then in the afternoon, uh, Mel Brooks has decided for one day and one day only, (laughs) he will try the beach. He won't like it, but he will try the beach. And he comes with you to the beach. It might be Bronte Beach, who knows? And then in the afternoon, you're going to Meredith Music Festival where the headliners are Sufjan Stevens and Ben Folds. Tom Ballard, how does that sound for your perfect day off? Hang on, am I having sex with Troy Sivan? Have you worked that in there? Oh, sorry, I completely forgot. At the end of the night, you're having sex with Troy Sivan. Oh my goodness. Well, okay, wait, we've got to get consent for that. That's the only one that we can't guarantee, but we're going to say Troy's really into it. Obviously, Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so that's that's going to happen at the end of the night. That's the perfect oh, finish shit, to the okay. night. Yeah. I think he'd also yeah. enjoy seeing Safad Stevens as well. So oh shit, maybe he comes with you to the festival. I yes. just, I mean, would he get in with your friendship group? Do you think he'd fit yeah, in? Yeah, I think he's a yeah, nice okay. guy. I okay, think my friends are cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, the perfect combination. So he's coming. You're either having sex at the festival or after the festival. <laughs> You'll work it out. That's the logistics. I'm leaving to you. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. But thank how you. does that? <laughs> How does that sound for your perfect day off? That sounds like an absolute dream. And I would love that to happen, please. Yes, let's let's oh. start planning this. This is good stuff. This is going to be great. We'll even resurrect George Colombaris's restaurant just for you for this one day. <laughs> Tom, we are so excited to come see you at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, if you haven't bought your tickets, buy your tickets. We're very excited to see you. And thank you for coming on Chucking a Sickie. Thanks, Harry. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. <coughs> Chuck a Sickie. Well, there you have it, the perfect day off for Tom Ballard. 
I can't believe that I actually forgot Troy Sivan's role in this in this sick day. And one of the first people to really never have a bad job uh, must be very, very nice. We are so excited for Tom's show at Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Make sure to grab your tickets. It's on from the 31st of July to the 27th of August and join us next week for another perfect day off on Chucking a Sickie.